Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Jesus, in this next to the last section of the Sermon on the Mount, distinguishes between our wants and our needs in four specific areas of our life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, as we look at some straight talk from the Savior about our needs. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You ever wonder if God really listens when you pray? Sometimes the apparent silence feels deafening. Well, God does indeed hear our every prayer, but that doesn't mean He's going to answer right away. And today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shares how we can avoid getting discouraged when we bring our petitions before God. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Have you ever gone back to your old neighborhood to see the house you grew up in? It stirs up all sorts of good memories and nostalgia, right? Well, that's how I feel when I travel to the Holy Land. Just like you, I've been reading the Bible all of my life. And stepping into Jerusalem is like going home sitting at the garden tomb and reflecting on the resurrection of Jesus, or standing at the Mount of Olives, feels like returning to our spiritual roots. This coming April 25th through May 5th, I'll be hosting the Pathway to Victory Tour to Israel, and I'd love to be the one to show you the heartwarming sights of the Holy Land and to help you understand why they're so important to our Christian faith. Go to ptv.org, take a look at the fabulous itinerary, and most importantly, reserve your spot today while there's still room. Now, in just a few more days, we'll be concluding our month-long teaching series called 18 Minutes with Jesus. And while there's still time, let me encourage you to get in touch with Pathway to Victory right now to request my brand new book called 18 Minutes with Jesus. It's about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is bold clear, and above all, it's so practical. By reading my book, you'll benefit from the wise counsel Jesus gave us on relevant issues such as finding happiness, maintaining sexual purity, and reconciling with our enemies. Again, the book is called 18 Minutes with Jesus, and a copy is yours when you include a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. More details later, but right now, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I titled today's message, Straight Talk About Your Needs. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at four different areas of life in which there's a difference between what we want and what we need. The first area Jesus deals with is the subject of sinning Christians. We want to condemn other people, sinning Christians. But Jesus says we need to restore sinning Christians. Look at verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. What did Jesus mean when he said, judge not lest you be judged? Well, that word judge in Greek is the word krino. Here are two ideas that krino carries with it that I think Jesus had in mind. First of all, not to judge means not to judge somebody's motives. Only God can judge somebody's motives. I think when Jesus is saying, do not judge, he's not only talking about motives, but he's talking about 
final condemnation. Jesus is saying, don't pass a final condemnation on people. No, only God can make that kind of judgment. Don't judge with a final condemnation. Why are we not to judge other people's motives or issue a final condemnation? Look at verse 2. Jesus said, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. That's why it's unwise to judge other people in this way, because whatever standard you used will be used against you one day. So, Pastor, are you saying we just ought to adopt the live and let live philosophy? Don't make any kind of evaluation about anybody? Not at all. In fact, one of the most loving things we can do is to help restore a sinning Christian to a right relationship with God. And I think that's what Jesus has in mind here in Matthew 7. He's talking about being gentle with those who are caught up in sin. Look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, and behold, the log is in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's a gracious thing to have, help somebody take a speck out of their eye to deal with sin in their life. Jesus, listen, Jesus is not saying you have to be perfect before you can do that. But what he is saying is make sure you have dealt clearly with sin in your life the best you can before you try to help somebody else. And that leads to a second area Jesus distinguishes between our wants and needs, and that is evangelism, sharing the gospel. We want everyone to accept God's message. We need to understand not everyone will accept God's message. Look at verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Remember, the context is he's talked about helping to restore a sinning Christian. And he's warning you, don't be surprised if not everybody responds positively to your offer of help. Not everybody you try to restore is going to respond correctly. And what Jesus is saying here is don't expect everybody to be receptive to the gospel. He warned his disciples in Matthew 10, 14, if you go into a city or to a town or a nation where the gospel is rejected, shake the dust off your feet and leave. Now, there is a balance here. Yes, in one sense, we're to spread the gospel everywhere, regardless of the condition of people's hearts. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word in season and out of season. And that's what we do here every week at First Baptist Dallas. We cast the seed of God's word throughout the world. And we know when we cast the seed, some of it will fall on hard ground, hard hearts that are unresponsive. But other seed is going to fall on fertile ground, soft ground that receives the implanted Word of God. Our responsibility is to cast the Word and leave the results to God. So there's a sense in which we share the gospel with everybody. But when we are individually dealing with people, it's wise, Jesus said, 
to know the condition of a person's heart and whether they're open or not open to the gospel. It's helpful to know their condition so that you can know what to say and perhaps what to save until another time. Proverbs 25:11 says, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. We need to be wise in what we share, with whom we share, and when we share. That's what Jesus is saying here. The third area in which Jesus distinguishes between our wants and our needs is prayer. We want God to answer our every prayer. We need for God to answer our best prayers. Now, this is such an important topic, the subject of prayer, that Jesus mentions it twice in this Sermon on the Mount. We saw it in chapter 6 when he gave us a model for how to pray. That dealt with the content of our prayer. Now Jesus is giving us some direction about the practice of our prayers. There are two words. It's not on your outline. I want you to write down. The first word is the word persistence. In this section, Jesus is going to talk about the value of persistence in praying. Look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, these verbs, ask, seek, and knock, are in the present imperative. The best translation is, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking until God answers your prayer. Keep on. Perseverance. Now, I know this sounds like a contradiction with what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 7. Remember when he said, when you pray, don't pray like the Gentiles, for they thought they will be heard by their many words. Don't speak empty words over and over to God. So is Jesus contradicting himself when he says, keep on asking God? No, not at all. See, the Gentiles thought that by meaningless words, a mantra that they just kept repeating over and over and over and over again, they could force God to do something he didn't want to do. No, don't engage in meaningless repetition. But he is talking about the value of persistence. If God doesn't answer the first time you ask, keep on asking until he says yes or no to your request. God values that. How do I know? God values persistence in praying. Remember the story he told in Luke chapter 18? Luke 18, 1 begins by saying, and Jesus showed them a parable about why they should pray at all times and not lose heart. You remember the story Jesus told. There was a widow who was being taken advantage of, probably by the Sadducees. They were trying to cheat her out of her home. So she goes to the judge, the local judge, for protection. The only problem was the judge was an unbeliever. And when the widow approached him and asked for help, the judge said, I do not fear God and I don't respect man. I will not do what you asked me to do. But that widow didn't give up. She kept asking and asking and asking. And in Luke 18, 5, remember what he said? He said, even though I don't fear God, I don't respect man, and I sure don't respect you. I'm going to give you what you want, lest you wear me out. Now, if Jesus had stopped there, we would have come up with the wrong moral of the story. We would say, okay, well, Jesus, Jesus is saying God is like that unrighteous 
judge, and if I just keep asking him long enough, I can force him to do what he doesn't want to do. No, this is not a parable of comparison. It's a comparable of contrast. Jesus said, if an unrighteous judge will do that, for a woman he has no relationship or responsibility toward, how much more will your Father who is in heaven do for his children that cry to him day and night? It's a parable of contrast. God honors persistence. You know, sometimes God immediately answers our prayers, just like he did with Elijah on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18. Most people don't read to the end of the chapter, though. Remember after the fire came down and lapped up the sacrifice? Everybody said, Yahweh is Lord, Yahweh is Lord. There was still an unanswered prayer. The rain hadn't come that had been promised. They'd been three years in a drought. So what did Elijah do? He climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, spread himself out on the ground, and asked once, twice, three times, seven times he prayed for the rain to come. And only after the seventh time did it come. Sometimes God answers immediately. Sometimes God delays. But we shouldn't stop asking until he answers you know, when I think about that principle, I remember a story my mentor and friend, Dr. Howard Hendricks, used to tell about his own father's conversion. Dr. Hendricks' father was a hardened military man, and Dr. Hendricks had prayed for years for his conversion. He had his family praying for his dad's conversion, his children praying, and one time uh, uh, the grandfather came to visit the Hendricks home, and he was dressed in his military outfit, and as he was descending the plane, one of the grandchildren ran up to him and said, Granddad, do you know Jesus yet? And the grandfather said, No, son, I can't say that I do. Well, you're going too soon because we're praying for you. Dr. Hendricks said he prayed for his father's conversion for 42 years. And one night, while Dr. Hendricks was at his desk, the telephone rang. It was a chaplain from a care facility in another state where his father was residing. The chaplain said, I just thought you would like to know that tonight I prayed with your father to accept Jesus as his Savior. Four months later, his dad was dead and in heaven. That's the kind of persistence in prayer that God answers. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Why? Verse eight, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Does that mean there's a guarantee that God's gonna answer every prayer? No. As one writer said, you know, heaven is not a divine candy machine that dispenses goodies if we insert the right verbal coinage. It doesn't work that way. There's no guarantee that God will answer our every prayer. God never made that promise. In fact, any promises in the Bible that seem to indicate that need to be understood in the context of 1 John 5, 14. John said, this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God's will is the border around our lives and around our prayer life. It's not a cop-out by God. No, God's will is a boundary. It's a border that keeps not good things from entering our life, 
but bad things from entering our life. There are a lot of reasons for unanswered prayer. We could have a whole sermon on the reasons sometimes God says no to prayer. We're not praying from a pure heart, Psalm 66, 18. We're not praying in faith, James 1, 5. We're not, pray, we're not praying while living obediently, 1 John 3, 22. But one reason God doesn't answer our prayer is we may not be praying according to God's will, 1 John 5, 14. And that's why the second word is important besides persistence, the word trust. We keep on asking until God says yes or no. But when he says no, we can trust his goodness. We can trust that he knows what is best for us. And that's what Jesus alludes to in verses 9 and 10. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? Let me paraphrase that to today. If your child is hungry and asks for a PB&J sandwich, you don't give him a peanut butter and jelly fish sandwich, do you? No, you give him exactly what he needs. Now, if we, being imperfect parents, do that for our children, look at verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? There's that contrast. God's not an evil parent. He's a good parent. Therefore, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? We want God to say yes to our every request, but what we really need is for God to say yes to our best request, those that are according to his will. Finally, look at the difference between our wants and needs in our dealings with other people. We want people to treat us better than we treat them, but we need to treat others as we want them to treat us. We've reached the climax of this section, and I bet you recognize this verse, verse 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. What did he mean by that? Remember in Matthew 22, Jesus would be asked what the greatest commandment is. And he said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment, but the second is just like it. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this verse, Matthew 7, 12, is an elaboration of that second command, to love others as yourself. It's a command that we call the golden rule. Now, some critics of the Bible say, oh, here's another instance in which you can't trust the Bible. Jesus didn't come up with this on his own. He was uh, plagiarizing this. He got it from Confucius or Greek philosophers or even Jewish teachers. They had said this long before Jesus ever said this. Are they right? No, no. This is original with Jesus because if you look at what other philosophers said, they quoted this in a negative sense. They all said, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. It was a passive kind of command. Don't do to anybody what you don't want them to do to you. But Jesus turned it on its head. He said, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. There's a big difference between the two. 
You take the first step. You do something kind for another person if you want them to do something kind for you. And you know, folks, that goes against the grain of every culture and every generation to be proactive in doing good to others who haven't yet done something good for you. Amy and I are watching a show on television right now. It's about life in New York in the 1880s. And in the show, there's the central characters, a family that has come into new wealth and they've moved to New York and they wanna break in into the high society group in New York, but they're barred from doing so. The old money elites don't wanna let them in, the society circles. One couple in particular does everything they can to keep them out, but this couple suffers a financial reversal and the wife comes to the matriarch of this newly moneyed family and says, we need your help. Would you be compassionate with us? We are on the verge of losing everything we have. Would you help us? And the matriarch says to her, so you're asking me for a favor? Yes. You're asking for a transaction of sorts? Yes. Have you made some deposit on my behalf that I'm unaware of because it sure doesn't feel like it? Have you done something kind for me that I'm unaware of? No, the woman says, well, then of course I must turn you down. You know, that's the thinking of our age. We can only do something nice for others if they've done something for us. Dr. Willard Harley talks about the love bank. You know, we're all like little banks walking around and we have accounts for every person we deal with, every person in our life. We have an account. And when we encounter this person, we check their account status with us. Do they have a credit or a deficit? If they've done more good for us than we've done for them, they have a credit with us, well, then we feel like we can afford to do something nice for that person. But if we encounter somebody who has a deficit with us, they've taken more than they've given. Why, they were overdrawn. And we couldn't possibly do something nice for them. That's how we think. Jesus says, don't be that way. Why? Because if we're a child of God, God has deposited into our life, our account, unending riches, beginning with our salvation. And that's why we can afford to be generous with other people, regardless of how they treat us, because of the riches we have received from God. That's what Jesus has in mind here. In everything, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. We're in the final stretch of our teaching series about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In fact, our study, which started the 1st of October, ends tomorrow. It's called 18 Minutes with Jesus, straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. In a moment, David will explain how you can receive both the audio CDs and the video DVDs. But right now, I'm encouraging you to request a copy of my brand new hardcover book by the same title, 18 Minutes with Jesus. 18 minutes is all it takes to read Jesus' most important sermon he ever delivered. That's about the length of today's TED Talk. The Sermon on the Mount contained what Jesus considered to be the most important aspects of your life and practice. Issues like 
restoring relationships with your enemies, learning how to cultivate personal joy, and even learning the surprising ways for getting what you really want. With just one day remaining in this time-limited offer, please reach out and request your copy today of 18 Minutes with Jesus. It's yours when you give a generous gift to support the expanding ministry of Pathway to Victory. By the way, this book would make a perfect gift for your son or daughter, perhaps a grandchild who's searching for direction in life. In any case, I'm looking forward to hearing from you today. Your gift is truly important and valued as together we pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. A copy of the brand new book by Dr. Jeffress, 18 Minutes with Jesus, is yours today when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Call 866-999-2965 or make your request online at ptv.org. Now, when you give $100 or more, you'll also receive the complete collection of audio and video discs for this month's teaching series, 18 Minutes with Jesus. You'll get that along with the corresponding study guide. But time is running out to take advantage of these resources, so be sure to get in touch right away. One more time, our phone number, 866-999-2965, or go to ptv.org. You can also send your request by mail. Here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Someday, our hearts will stop beating and we'll be on the threshold of a new beginning. So when that day comes, what's next for you? Hear a message called Straight Talk About Your Eternal Destiny. That's Friday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.